Welcome to Ballpark Banter, a podcast dedicated to exploring the 30 ballparks of Major League Baseball. We're a pair of ballpark gurus who've been to every MLB stadium and now want to take you through what it's like to catch a game at each. On this show, each ballpark gets its own episode where we'll explore its history and then dive deep into the facts, figures, and fun anecdotes that make it unique. Follow us on social at Ballpark Banter for regular doses of ballpark trivia and visit ballparkbanterpodcast.com for more information. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ballpark Banter where we're exploring the 30 ballparks of Major League Baseball, one by one in the same order as when we saw them all in one summer with our good friends. Eternal shout out, as always, to Kendall, Jack, and Ruben. My name is Travis Parker-Smith, and with me on this episode, as he always is, is my good friend and fellow ballpark guru, Kellen Larson. And today we're heading to Minnesota to explore the home of the Twins, Target Field. Now, Kellen, before we dive into the history and what you can see at Target Field if you visit this ballpark today, tell me what the first thing is that comes to mind when you think of the home of the Twins. I have a very distinct image of in my mind of the facade. Um, Don't remember which entrance we were at, but there's a combo of this big limestone plus a large kind of glass atrium situation. And I thought it was very attractive. Um, Surprisingly, perhaps an an odd couple, but uh, I thought it, you know, it kind of hit the note of ballpark but barely, and it kind of could be a convention center or something from that angle, but but I thought it looked good overall. Yeah, many people have described this ballpark as being cozy. It nestles very well into the city of Minneapolis, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but it also incorporates, as you said, a lot of brick and a lot of limestone actually sourced from like a local quarry um, to kind of isolate it a little bit architecturally from other ballparks, certainly of its time, almost hearkening back to older ballparks and the way that they would fit into the city, but still, as you said, with a modern twist and a lot of glass that makes it stand out. Now, kind of staying there, and before I dive into the full history of this ballpark, orient us just a little bit more by providing a few fast facts about Target Field. A newer ballpark, it has had just the one name in its history, Target Field, You mentioned it was cozy. It is one of the smallest by capacity. It's the fifth smallest at uh, 38,544 listed as the as the highest capacity crowd, although the largest crowd uh, on record was in 2015. A Kenny Chesney concert sold 44,152 tickets. I I love that we have this little trail going on now. So we've had the Pope visit at Angel Stadium, the U2 concert at Dodger Stadium, a regular season game at Chase, the (laughs) All-Star game at Coors, and now a Kenny Chesney concert. So two concerts have notched for uh, largest crowd at MLB ballparks thus far on this um, With In our closing episode or or an addendum episode, we'll do a ranking of or a draft of which of those events we would have most liked to have been ha- have been part of the record crowds at each ballpark. Yeah, and maybe which ones we could have we would have preferred to skip a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll see Kenny where that. Draft Kenny Chesney was. might not be taking very taken very high with respect to the forty four thousand that I'm sure had a very good time there. Curious where the Kenny Chesney concert and uh, the visit of the Pope well, would land in such a draft, but we'll get there at some point. Before then, I'm going to take you as always on a history of this ballpark. Yeah. 
And to give you a history of Target Field, I actually should give you a glimpse into one specific era of Twins history. The Minnesota Twins won the World Series in 1991 on a Game 7, 1-0 victory on a walk-off sack fly in the 10th inning against the Atlanta Braves. Think about that scoreline there just for a second as the Game 7 deciding run in the World Series and extra innings of the World Series walk-off sack fly. It was, of course, the only run of the game with the shutout victory hinging on the back of a 10-inning outing by gun-for-hire Jack Morris through more than a complete game shutout. It was the team's second World Series title in just five years and caused an eruption of popularity for the Twins throughout the state of Minnesota. But while the Twins were gaining fans by the hundreds every day, their ballpark was receiving criticism every minute. The team played in the Metrodome, one of those hideous multi-purpose stadiums that we explored in the History of the Ballpark episode. Go check it out. A venue that housed numerous sports on a personality-lacking field covered with AstroTurf. Gigantic pipes that helped to inflate the roof, yes, the dome was inflated, were stuck right behind home plate and they weren't exactly the ideal backstop for fans to look at behind the catcher. Even the owners of the Metrodome came out and said the stadium was, quote, economically obsolete, which immediately sparked the ownership's desire for a new stadium. But the years came, the years went, all without agreement. The city of Minneapolis and Hennepin County fought back against numerous potential locations, never able to agree with the team on a price or location for a new ballpark. Meanwhile, dozens of other teams were getting new stadiums during this time. Think of the Rockies, think of the Mariners, the San Francisco Giants, and perhaps, most importantly for the Twins, the Brewers, who were located just hours away. Minnesotans had to sit back and watch other teams play in gorgeous new stadiums while they continued to survive in their carpet turf dome, which always clashed with Tampa Bay's Tropicana feel for worst MLB ballpark. Slight nod to the Oakland Coliseum there, which apparently was not included in this review. It wasn't until the mayor of St. Paul proposed moving the Twins to their city, St. Paul, not Minneapolis, that stuff actually began to happen. I guess the threat of losing the Twins to the adjacent town was what seemed to light a fire under the pants of those involved, and voila, a space was agreed upon. But then one owner pointed out that the proposed new location for a ballpark was going to be next to a massive garbage incinerator. Yes, you heard that correctly. And suddenly there was once again no deal. In 2002, the MLB owners voted 28 to 2 to remove teams from two cities. Those cities, Montreal and Minneapolis. Spoiler, one of those cities lost their teams. Some of Minneapolis pulled it out. Because the Twins were in a do-or-die situation and Hennepin County came to the rescue, agreeing a few years later to help fund that new ballpark after many revotes, committee appointments, reports, selection changes, you name it. So now, with the agreement of the county, the city, and the team in hand, construction broke ground in 2007 and Target Field opened in 2010. And the area they chose? Same one as before, right next to that garbage incinerator. But... Must be said, there's no smell, the ballpark is gorgeous, and it fits, might I say, quite snugly into Minneapolis. So on that note, Kellen, take us through the walkability of this ballpark. Yeah, it fits quite snugly. Like a few of its cousin ballparks, it sits just on the edge of the compact downtown Minneapolis and between there and the historic warehouse district. And they've basically just raised it up above 
Um, the freeway, I-394 it is, that runs like basically underneath the ballpark, which, you know, creates a lot of benefits in terms of walkability. The Twins have a page on their website for transportation to the ballpark, which I always appreciate and often helps me measure for this segment. And the number of options that they mention in terms of different trails and routes and ways to get to the ballpark definitely will lead it to a good score as we as we score this on our 20 to 80 scouting scale. And I learned something uh, about the city of Minneapolis as I was researching this, that you can access the park by this network of called the Minneapolis Skyway. Travis, are you familiar with the Minneapolis Skyway? I am not. It's this network that covers dozens of blocks and almost 10 miles of and many or most of the buildings in downtown Minneapolis of like covered walkways above the street level. I'm guessing this is used for like the cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a cold weather city. And so, you know, you can um, use this network in the winter, I suppose. We'll have to get a local on to tell us more about it. But you can make your way through shopping or commuting or whatever while you stay warm. And it appears as it, it's listed on the Twins website as an option to uh. um, access the ballpark from downtown. So it'd be, I guess, not as important in the summer, but still at least a novel or interesting way to approach the ballpark on foot. What a interesting glimpse to Minneapolis local transportation. So what, what final grade does it get on the 20 to 80 scouting scale? Yeah, we'll give it a 65, which is, uh, you know, an above average player. If you were scouting a prospect through that combination of, um, you know, accessibility through different channels and different means of transportation and a nice location there on the edge of downtown in the warehouse warehouse district. So maybe not as many breweries to check out within that 10 block radius like Coors had, but take nothing away from Target Field. It still fits quite well. And there's plenty of pregame scenes down in this warehouse district as well. You can get there through normal sidewalks or potentially via the Minneapolis Skyway, which I'm totally going to go and check out after this recording. Do you dream of visiting every major league ballpark? Know someone who does? Or maybe you need a new gift idea for a baseball addict in your life? Check out Touch Em All, a book written by me, Travis Parker Smith, host of this show. Tracing the tale of four teenagers who drove a beat-up old hippie bus to all 30 parks in one summer, this memoir is a fun, easy read that's perfect for this baseball season. And it's the inspiration for this podcast. Order it online or, preferably, from your local bookstore. And head to ballparkbanterpodcast.com to learn more. Now, back to the show. We're not going to take you around the bases of Target Field, giving you three things where, if you're lucky enough to go and see a game in this stadium, you should check this stuff out. And if not, you should at least know about it. Kellen, what's on first at Target Field? We've used the word snug. We've used the word cozy. We're going to stay with just talking about how Target Field is really kind of crammed into this compact area. 
in this small section of the warehouse district in Minneapolis. It wasn't, you know, designed to host a ballpark, as you alluded to earlier. And that is really apparent when you do first lay your eyes on the facade of the stadium. Maybe an NBA arena with their need for less space could have fit there, but to build a baseball stadium definitely was going to require some creativity. And so the designers of the park went and got creative. So the park takes up just eight acres of space, making it the most compact in all of Major League Baseball. It's surrounded by that interstate and railroads and a bridge and the garbage incinerator (laughs) that uh, sits just behind the third base side. I I do want to comment on this for people that have not been to target field we've now mentioned the garbage incinerator three times it does not smell bad at target field uh, somehow they figured out a way to keep the the trash smell very compact within uh this dump this incinerator or i don't know maybe there's a strategic wind i have no idea there is no bad smell of garbage when the twins play baseball <laughs> i'm holding back from making a Twins playoff performance joke. (laughs) Hey, they broke that this past year. They broke that this past year. Yes. And the ballpark's urban nature actually means it sits kind of on top of downtown. As I was mentioning, the different downtown avenues and freeways kind of go beneath the ballpark and beneath the outfield seats. So one of these sections of street that goes underneath those right field seats has been renamed Twins Way and the ballpark street address is known to sit quote at the foot of Twins Way because it takes up such a small amount of land Target Field wanted to lean into this trend of a smaller impact and it was built really with a, a important mind for sustainability and it became the first sports site in the United States to receive the LEED Gold certification for its greenness and its sustainability practices. It accomplished that in 2017. And Target Field just kind of sneaks up on you. This is understandable, given all the construction adjustments that I just described, which were made to make it fit into the city. To best understand how this stadium does somehow fit into the city and into this section of the city, go take a look at it on Google Maps and just scratch your head, like trying to figure out how on earth the freeway like wraps around and beneath it. But they found a way and it it works out really well. This is an anomaly. We love talking about how ballparks look on Google Maps, where the closest sidewalk is, where the closest bar is, you know, the walkability section and stuff. This one is is unique because, as you said, like streets and freeways, avenues, railroads are just kind of winding around and through it. It is truly worth a look. Rounding first and heading to second, if you visit Target Field, we recommend you approach it from the southeast side. This means coming from downtown Minneapolis and crossing the freeway at 3rd Avenue, which eventually turns into Twins Way, to get to the ballpark. To do this, you'll actually walk over these streets and into a welcoming plaza, which is our second base here, called Target Plaza. This area has three unique features that are quite fun to see on your way to the ballpark. The first is a monument that shows all the ballparks that the Twins have played in before. Seeing the Metrodome listed, 
allows you to immediately appreciate the venue that you're about ready to walk into, the cozy nature that Kellen alluded to a little bit prior, and the fact that they once played in a carpeted dome stadium. Another is a set of nine topiary frames. Those are those things that you grow plants on, which, oddly enough, are growing beer hops. The nine frames are lit up from the base in different colors when there's no game going on, but when there is a game happening at Target Field, they're illuminated red according to the inning. In other words, there's nine innings. When it's the first inning, just the first of the nine is illuminated. When you reach the seventh, the first seven are, you get the point. The final fun thing in Target Plaza, this is my favorite, are the statues that honor Twins legends. These include Rod Carew, Kent Herbeck, Kirby Puckett, and Harmon Killebrew. But while many ballparks, of course, have similar odes to legends of old, Target Field has one unique statue that's quite well situated. Standing next to these twin Hall of Famers is a gigantic baseball mitt that leans backward and is in a perfect spot for people to come, sit on, and take a picture or two. Baseball is such a great sport for symbology. You've got great shapes in baseball, you've got to say. The poses being struck are so good for statues, whether you're in the pitching motion or finishing a swing. And the equipment, don't don't overlook the equipment. Seattle, the uh, T-Mobile Park, it has uh, a large glove, and it's common for us just to say, hey, meet at the glove, and we'll get our ticket situation sorted out and head on in. And I remember this um, this gigantic mitt as well, and it it really stands out. Yeah, and we'll talk a, a little bit more about other statues and, and rendezvous points in other ballparks, including Meet Me at Stan which is a popular phrase for Bush Stadium in St. Louis. We'll get there when we get to Missouri. Um, but in this this particular instance here in, in Target Plaza, as you said, the glove stands out and it's meant to do so. It's strategically placed. It's gold in color and stands officially and appropriately as the monument to all twins who have won the gold glove. Okay, fine. However, It is also strategically situated exactly 520 feet away from home plate, which is, amazingly, the distance of Harmon Killebrew's longest home run, by far the longest of Twins history. Rounding second and heading to third, Kellen, what's on third at Target Field? On third, we're talking about Minnie and Paul. Up above the left field bleachers stand the iconic statues of Minnie and Paul, well, statue here is kind of a generous term. Really, it's more of like a big sign. It's propped up by these gigantic metal poles. It's a neon illuminated depiction of two older gentlemen who are shaking hands. And they're both wearing these old style baseball jerseys. One has an M, the other has an STP. They're actually jerseys of the Minneapolis Millers and the St. Paul Saints, the area's minor league teams that have existed well before the Twins were moved to Minnesota from Washington, D.C. in 1961. So these men, appropriately, are named Minnie and Paul, and they're shaking hands over the Mississippi River, which is obviously the gigantic body of water that separates the Twin Cities. It's all happening beneath a gigantic Twins logo and against the backdrop of the outline of the state of Minnesota. So we're going to talk about famous signs, which is obviously a large part of the ballpark throughout this podcast series. And we've got Wrigley Field coming up next, and we'll certainly mention the famed marquee that's just outside of Wrigley. Some of these signs, though, are quite static. 
in their existence. Maybe right. they light up once or twice. Uh, this one's this one's a little different, is it not? It's very active. So if you're in the stands during a game, you'll probably see it light up more than on occasion. But pay attention because it's not super intuitive to first-time visitors. When a twin scores, the border of the state of Minnesota is illuminated in a counterclockwise fashion from the bottom left corner, which is apparently supposed to represent home plate. Okay, so it's like a runner rounding the bases is my guess. Exactly, like on the score bug on your broadcast. It's just on the the great state of Minnesota. Which, of course, looks like a baseball diamond. (laughs) Exactly. And when a twin hits hits a home run, the lights flash across the whole thing and Minnie and Paul shake hands over that Mississippi River and it lights up in a fashion that makes it look like the river is flowing. Okay, so we have a runner rounding first, second, third home and a river in the middle of it. Yeah, we have a light up river and a handshake for a home run. Right. And when the twins hold the opposing teams to zero runs scored during an inning, the lights flash a few times. Wait, hang on. They <laughs> actually have an iteration for just <laughs> when they... It's a, a scoreless half inning. It's something to celebrate. Scoreless top and, half of uh, the inning. Love that. Take your W when you can. And speaking of Ws, so when the Twins win the game, the Twins logo lights up. It used to flash in like this alternating fashion with the full word fully illuminated and then only partially illuminated so that you would get the middle three letters of twins w i and n to flash in an alternating fashion so that what you would read if you were paying attention this <laughs> this much as we were to say twins win twins win on repeat uh although in 2023 target altered the sign and now it says win twins as two <laughs> different words on the sign. I love this. I, I actually thought it was really clever with the twins win with the full word, middle letters, full word, middle letters. But if you look at it today, and it, it was just this past year alternated, it's not twins win, two different words. It is two words, but win twins. Win twins, <laughs> win twins. I don't know what the thought process was behind putting win as the first word. But you know what? There's a lot going on with this sign. I'm here for it. It's iconic and definitely one of the things that you have to see if you visit Target Field. My guess is it's going to light up a lot during the game you see there. Rounding third and coming home, Target Field is the northernmost ballpark in the United States that does not have a roof. When it was originally constructed, this was viewed as a choice decision. Surely, playing outdoor-only baseball in Minneapolis would mean a plethora of rainouts, and let's be real here, it does. However, the field itself is heated from beneath the grass so that other elements, like snow, can't accrue too much on the playing surface, and many of the seats in the stadium are covered by large overhanging canopies from the top deck. Those late March, early April games in Minnesota can still happen, as long as it's not raining too hard. And if you're cold, well, there's numerous heated viewing areas near the infield concourses that will happily warm you up while the twins battle it out in the Minnesota cold. 